Welcome to another episode of Pat and the Fat Man. I'm Pat. I'm the Fat Man, otherwise known as Bruce. Coming to you not live at all today, talking about Star Wars Episode One. Timely for two reasons, because our first set of podcasts were about The Matrix, and Star Wars Episode One was released the same year as the first Matrix movie. And also timely because the last of the Skywalker Star Wars movies will be coming to us later this year. Hopefully before this podcast is out, but you never know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so, Fat Man, first impressions. So, having gone back and watched it, and I've watched it a few times since, you know, it, it released, you know, 20-something years ago, I find that it ages well, that I've grown to like it more and more as I've gotten older and watched it more. Probably like most Star Wars fans that aren't angry about everything. <laughs> <laughs> They're almost a minority. Really. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just that, uh, that I, I kind of pick and choose the things that, that I really want to focus on, like the casting and a lot of the, not just special effects, but uh, the action sequences. And there are parts of the story that are actually really good. But then there are just, you know, certain casting prospects that you're just like, why? In story prospects, you're just like, ugh. I understand what you were going for, but ugh. <laughs> <laughs> There was a lot of decisions you could have made. You made that one. Why? <laughs> right. And it should be noted that I am a big, big Star Wars fan as I've got two tattoos that are Star Wars tattoos. So I have been willing to get myself inked permanently with Star Wars. So to really kind of nitpick this, it, it's not what I would have wanted. But I mean, when the movies came out, I was like, okay, this is my trilogy. This is the trilogy that I should treat it like my parents did back in the 70s and 80s when they got theirs. So I'm going to choose to own this trilogy and like it for the fact that it's my generation's trilogy. Okay. So I would say my first impressions were it's a kid's movie. Mm-hmm. Solidly. And that's that's like through and through. It is very apparent kind of from the get-go it's very apparent from how they show the action sequences it's very apparent from how they show the non-action sequences how they show the interactions between the characters how they move the story along how they set up the story how they constantly constantly are an exposition of stuff <laughs> which is okay because part of this movie is world re-world building i don't know how to put it but kind of background world building mm-hmm. and so uh, for me it was a very solid kids movie you know, I don't think that's something I would have really noticed as hardline as I did when I first saw it, or when I've watched it subsequently since then. I think normally since then, I've always watched it with the anticipation of watching the next movie afterwards. Mm-hmm. I tended to watch Star Wars, the Star Wars, the six Star Wars movies as like what I did on my sick days. Right. <laughs> so as I was lying in bed, I would just watch all of the Star Wars franchise. Right. Much harder to do these days, but at the time, there was six movies. <laughs> I can't wait. So when this podcast is recorded, the AMC came out with details that they're going to run all nine movies as a marathon. You're going to watch the first eight leading into the release date for episode nine. So when you're done with the eight, you'll roll right into nine and that'll be the release time for episode nine. Hopefully I can do that. If I, if I get the chance to do that, I, I would love to do that. Uh, yeah, I have a feeling I won't, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, solid kids movie. You know, I didn't have any real problems with it from that perspective. If I viewed it as a movie for adults, 
that they were the target audience, I think I would have problems. Right. And you really got to think about it. It wasn't designed that way because George Lucas even made the original trilogy based off of Saturday serials, you know, Saturday action TV series, which were designed for kids. So as much as we want to say the the original trilogy was for adults, it really wasn't supposed to be, but it identified, adults identified with it. So I just think that George Lucas had helped with the writing before and I mean supposedly at writing with this trilogy too it was just this one I think he had he was more heavy-handed because he was more established so he he was the boss he's he's the godfather and you know one of the godfathers in Hollywood so if he says it that's the way it's gonna go <laughs> he doesn't yeah. need this movie to succeed he just wants to tell the story he wants to tell right and I think that was obvious kind of like you're saying like you could tell you know Empire somebody else was the director right and that was the yes. same for jedi right but for these movies for the prequels he was the director and writer so you didn't have as much influence from anybody else which meant you got kind of just george's viewpoint right which, I, gotta, I gotta say there was a whole lot of the faster with more intensity going on <laughs> <laughs> that's the classic george lucas direction right to his actors is we should say the line again but you know with faster and more intensity and there definitely was a lot of that because mm-hmm. he was also very much influenced by Kurosawa movies too, you know, the samurai movies where things were said very quickly and, and you know, intensely, you know, like every sentence was, you know, supposed to be like this dramatic sentence. <laughs> you spilled my tea. Yes. You have insulted me. <laughs> <laughs> you must die now. Right. Wait, wait. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Can I just, can I just get a new tea here? Can we, no, you've already sliced me in half. Ah. Uh. <laughs> but you know i gotta say is like even the opening scene like people went through the crawl and they're like oh the taxation of you know roots it's kind of boring i go but again if you look at it from a certain perspective it's way adventure stories kind of start it is something benign turns into something a lot more intriguing because of the things that we didn't know about yes the 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 rumors of a ship sinking somewhere offshore always turn out to be the hardy boys discovering a bunch of smugglers in a cave right <laughs> <laughs> it's the hardy boys it's always smugglers right yeah. Because when you think about it, you know, trying to gas two Jedi because you didn't want to talk to them to figure out that you were trying to invade the planet. Trying to gas two Jedis over trade negotiations seems a bit of an overkill. Yes. <laughs> and you're like, oh, it's because they were going to invade the planet. Okay, now I get it. <laughs> right. And all of that has to be spelled out on screen because, again, kids movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay, so I guess we could we could start going through the film if you want to, scene by scene. So you got the crawl, mm-hmm. which I just mentioned, you know, about the trade routes and whatnot. And then mm-hmm. so much like a new hope, you get a ship flyover and it's this counselor ship, which looks different, but at the same time somewhat familiar as certain mm-hmm. aspects of like the Corellian Corvette from a new hope, but looks different. Yep. And that's how you that's how you know he's a super nerd, folks, because he knows the name of the ship. Th- that's right. But I'm not saying I also know the name of the ship. But I am not tattooed because <laughs> I'm a wuss and I don't like needles. I know the name of the manufacturer and the technical name for the Carillion Corvette. Okay, I, you know, so you got me beat there. Like, I, like you know, I'm an Omni nerd. I, I like Star Wars. Don't get I've gotten into it as far as I needed to to run my Star Wars D&D campaign. But <laughs> for those of you who are wondering or wondering if I'm telling the truth, Carillion Corvettes uh, from Episode 7 was a Carillion Engineering Corporation CR9. 90 Corellian Corvette, also known as a Rebel Blockade Runner. <gasps> Nerd! <laughs>
But anyways. Go ahead, nerd. <laughs> we see them flying up to an Earth-like planet that's being surrounded by these huge ships, which we haven't seen. So when you're looking, you're like, oh, this is different, which is good because the separation of time ships would look different. Mm -hmm. They look a lot more polished, which to me didn't bother me at all as much as other people. Yeah, you know, that was one of the things I think everybody was asking going into this movie was, you know, were we going to see uh, our technology be more like it is today Mm -hmm. as compared to, you know, the artificial restraints you have on science fiction from, you know, 20, 30 years prior? And the answer was, no, it's going to be more like it is today. And then we're going to see just a ship. And the reality is, like, what you see, you know, in the Empire versus what you see in the Trade Federation or the Republic or whatever, Mm -hmm. they are really, in effect, uh, style changes. You know, they're not technical or technology changes. Well, look at it this way. Original trilogy was, like, 90s style, and prequel trilogy is, like, 50s style. Right. Technology may not have been better, but it looked nicer. Like, old-style Corvettes and muscle cars are things that people want to collect because they look really cool, but they weren't technologically better. (laughs) No, not, oh, my God. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. Like, your standard, like, Toyota Corolla from the current modern era has more horsepower than a car from any car from, like, 30 years ago. (laughs) Knowing that George Lucas is a car guy, it makes a whole lot of sense, too. So they land, and you get our first looks of uh, Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Qui-Gon Jinn casted by Liam Neeson, who I had no idea who he was before this movie, but apparently was a somewhat known film actor. He was fairly well known. I mean, he'd done a lot of work before that. He was very much the Obi-Wan Kenobi Oh, I forgot his name. Sir... Alec Guinness. Sir Alec Guinness. Sir Alec Guinness was, like, one of the only established actors yeah. from the original trilogy. And the same was effectively true for Liam Neeson. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Well, except for Base Windu. Yeah, but, I mean, come on. And Frank Oz <laughs> playing Yoda. <laughs> and, you know, the same guy playing Palpatine. Literally. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, no one, it's, no one says that, uh, um... God... It's not Ian McDermott, but it's like E.M. Mc something or other. <laughs> McDonald? No, wait, that's not, no, that's not <laughs> it. It's very close to Ian McDermott, but it's yes. not. It's not. Because <laughs> it's somebody else. To say the guy who plays Palpatine is established, he's established as far as like Star Wars is concerned. But I mean, like I've never heard of him in a movie outside of Star Wars. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, so you have Liam Neeson's Qui-Gon Jinn, and our first look at Ewan McGregor, who was fresh cast, no one knew anything about him. The only thing everyone knew about him was that his uncle is, um, last name is Dawson. I want to say Ben Dawson or David Dawson. Anyways, he, Dawson was uh, the guy who played Wedge Antilles in the original trilogy. Good old Wedge. Yeah, and so his nephew is Obi-Wan Kenobi, Ewan McGregor. Oh, okay. But yeah, I don't, you know, I think Natalie Portman was fairly well unknown at that point. Sort of. I mean, she had the privilege of being known from the movie The Professional. That's right. Who was in there? He's another famous, uh, semi-famous actor, but I can't remember. And, like, that is what that actor is known for, was that film, too. Right. Natalie Portman was kind of known, but she was known as a child actress, and then now this was her first kind of serious role as a teenager. Yep. So, yeah, we see Gwygon, Obi-Wan, going to the conference room. We get our first look at our first aliens, the Nemodians, talking with Palpatine or Darth Sidious, as we'll come to know him in this, told to kill the Jedi... And 
they try to gas him. There is a 3PO unit, and so that was where we realized that 3PO wasn't unique. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. tries to gas him, and then we get our first look at the battle droids, which to me were a pretty cool design, actually. It was almost basic and disposable, which, I mean, if you want to build a massive army, that would be how you'd want to design it. Yeah, if you want to quickly build a massive army of relatively cheap disposable folks... Battle droids. Yep. <laughs> it was kind of cool, too, that they had some kind of personalities. Like, they'd hesitate, and, you know. Yeah, the Roger, Roger. Roger, Roger. I mean, that that was, like, one of the, the key clues off the bat, the, the conversation with the droids had, was that this was a kid's movie. Because <laughs> <laughs> you had kind of one of those gags pretty early. Right. <laughs> you know, the lightsabers come on, like, uh, like they audibly say, uh, uh last of them. Yeah. <laughs> wow, you know, it was kind of our first introduction to, like, actual Jedi powers. Right. You know, because pretty much all we'd seen before had been some of the stuff that Luke and... Oh, like, the the kinesis-type stuff and some yeah. telekinesis, you know, but mostly levitating or throwing things by levitation and stuff like that. Some acrobatics and then lightsaber play. Yeah. But in this one, you saw that they could use the Force to help them breathe in a toxic environment. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the Force push or Force speed. Yes, the super run. Yes, the super run. Let's get out of here, Jinkies! <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> and where we also see the cool um, droidicas. Those were cool. Yes. The rollers. They have two names, don't they? They call them droidicas, and they call them something else. Destroyers. Destroyer droids. Yeah. With the uh, those. No, those were those were neat, both from an engineering perspective and from a um, story perspective, because they provided a kind of a counterbalance to the Jedi power. Mm-hmm. Is that you could, in fact, overwhelm Jedi if you just shot enough at them. <laughs> the shield generators on them. Yes. You couldn't just deflect the bolt right back at it. And then actually you kind of saw too the, the kind of utility of lightsabers because when they close the, the blast doors on the, the bridge and they're just like, oh, well, I'm just going to shove this in here and wait till the metal heats and then <laughs> <Yeah>. disintegrates. <laughs> just melt this off. Well, I can't cut a hole anymore. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Which plays into the physics of lightsabers not really working at all, but that's okay. <laughs> Science fiction. Yes. Fiction. Yes. <laughs> you have to push a lot of I believe buttons here, because <laughs> otherwise stuff doesn't work. If you go on YouTube, there's actually a guy who explains like what the science would be behind the lightsaber and how pretty much like just turning one on would cause everything in the room to catch on fire. <laughs> well, as long as you survive the fire, you got a great weapon. <laughs> Considering you're holding it, I don't know if you're going to survive. I just don't know. <laughs> Sissy. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> So, yeah, Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan flee, and they get into the cargo hold and drop down. And this is where you learn that, like you were saying, a sign that it's a kid show. Obi-Wan makes the joke, you were right, Master. The the negotiations were short, but it was also kind of funny because you're like, oh, Obi-Wan had a sense of humor. Yeah, because Qui-Gon definitely doesn't. (laughs) He he doesn't appear to. He does later in the movie, but at at the beginning, he's kind of this old, wise, sage guy. Just kind of knowing what Obi-Wan grows into, you're like, oh, that's funny. He was an actual person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, had, he had a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, before going all, you know, dead on the inside and lying to Luke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the crazy old man in the desert. Yep. Ooh, so from there, we go down to the planet Naboo. So this is, a, this is planet number one 
in the typical three planet setup that is Star Wars. Star Wars almost always Star Wars movies almost always take place on three planets. Yeah. So this is planet number one, Naboo. So when they land, they land on the outskirts of somewhere in the jungle, effectively. Yes. And all the droids are setting down, and Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan make it away. But then we get to meet the most wonderful being on the, <laughs> on the in the all Star Wars film. Some character that everybody, everybody loved with all of their hearts. I don't think you could have buttered that up any, anymore. <laughs> But yes, he's talking about Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, I'm going to put a footnote here and say <laughs> that uh, it should be known for people who didn't know the guy who was actually the character and voice of Jar Jar Binks. This guy, his first name I remember was Ahmed, and I can't remember his last name, but the poor guy got so harassed. Oh, yeah. Really, most of the people who were in this movie got harassed, except for the ones that, you know, people didn't have a problem with, obviously, as much yeah. as that is a dumb statement. But Ahmed got harassed so much that he had very deep-set depression that he almost committed suicide. No shit. Yeah. In that regard, I'd just like to say, maybe we should take our hatred away from these people, because they're just actors doing a job. <laughs> yeah, and you'd think people would do that, except, you know, uh, we have an example from the last Star Wars movie, where they went after the one girl who played Rose. Yes. <sighs> I didn't have a problem with the character. I just had a problem with what they were trying to do with the character. I didn't have a problem with either. I had a problem with the movie. <laughs> but before we start going down that rabbit hole <laughs> yeah let's uh let's finish this one up so george R. Binks, you know honestly i find him more annoying every time i watch the movie <laughs> <laughs> so like when the movie first came out uh, he, he did not phase me I, I didn't mind him at all <laughs> nowadays i kind of find him a little annoying <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if that's that's different from from your experience of Jar Jar, or have you changed at all? Uh, it's one of those things where I think I go, you know, in a in a galaxy far, far away with many different people, I can't like them all. There's no way you're gonna just like everybody you come across in the universe. So, you know, yeah. I just chalk it up to that and go, okay, well, this is the one I don't like. <laughs> And if you if you hadn't figured out that it was a kids movie by this point, you know for sure because the way Jar Jar talks is like a kid and not like an older kid, <laughs> like a like a younger kid, like a seven year old or a six year old. <laughs> and I mean, I guess to be fair, they made it consistent throughout a species. <laughs> I don't know. It didn't seem like other Gungans really talked the way like they talked. They talked with the same dialect. But Jar Jar had a way of constantly reversing what he was saying, of over-exaggerating things, of being emotional, <laughs> overly emotional. How to put that? Yeah, but think about Boss Nass. I mean, Boss Nass, you know, was kind of big, pompous, and he had the jowl thing. Yeah. I got to tell you, that was, when I saw the movie the first time, that was actually the most disappointing scene for me. <laughs> because I knew the actor who was playing with him, and I just expected more out of him. <laughs> <laughs> and I know it wasn't his fault, you know, I know it was the director's fault, but I mean, come on, you used like an amazing actor to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that does seem to be the way of Star Wars, because I mean, in uh, uh, The Force Awakens, the stormtrooper that Ray like, mind tricks into letting her go is played by Daniel Craig. Really? <laughs> yes. Huh. Okay, then. <laughs> 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 right, and so you got that guy. <laughs> yeah, so 
Yeah. Wang. Chung. <laughs> tonight. Everybody. Have fun. Tonight. Alright, now that that's done. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now that we fulfill that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that shave and a haircut bit in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> Two bits. <laughs> Grabs him by the neck. Okay, so yeah, we meet with Jar Jar, and then we go down to the water to the Gungan City, where we find out that Jar Jar has basically been banished for being stupid. Seems like a bit of an overreaction, so my guess is that Gungans are Republican. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were going to avoid politics. <laughs> I just, I, I couldn't help myself. Maybe <laughs> a Democrat. Bro. I know, right? <laughs> I know I said I wasn't going to do this, but I'm doing it. <laughs> So many angry emails are going to be coming. <laughs> and nobody, like, we're going to get them from both sides. It doesn't matter. Like, okay, the hope is that while we while we can say that we never will talk about politics, that we offend both sides equally. Oh, sure. That's my goal, at least. <laughs> so, yeah, we find out that Jar Jar has been banished, and they basically haul them all. So, apparently, the judicial system here is that if they're going to arrest people, they're going to bring them before the city council <laughs> to decide what to do with them. That's pretty old school. Yeah. <laughs> if you uh, if you study, like, you know, pretty much our judicial system before, you know, democracy, <laughs> that's kind of how it went. Like, you got the guy, you dragged him before the magistrate, magistrate said, we're going to do this, and that's what happened. <laughs> so, you know, primitive peoples, yeah, yeah it makes sense. Qui-Gon effectively demonstrates that Jar Jar is not the dumbest person of his species, that they're all probably equally as intelligent as Jar Jar, because he handles them like a cheap fiddle. <laughs> <laughs> He's a Jedi. I mean, he does use the Jedi mind trick on Boss Nass, which, gotta admit, don't really know if he needed to. <laughs> he could have played those people like a drum. <laughs> and then we find out that in order to get from one side of the planet to the other, you have to go into a planet's core. Yeah, through the planet core. This is where science, you know, science and disbelief comes in because as far as we understand how planets work, the core of most planets is solid. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so it's not solid, it's liquid. Typically, right, but it's usually lava. <laughs> right, yeah, it's not it's not liquid that you can go through with a machine that isn't built specifically for those conditions, and definitely not the thing they were in, <laughs> which was built for being underwater. Very different from being in a liquid hot magma. Right, an underwater smart car. <laughs> yeah, not going to survive in the in the planet core. <laughs> Oh, and this is where you were talking about. We we got Qui Gon's first joke in the movie. Uh, there's always oh, a bigger yeah, there's fish. Always a bigger fish. Yep. yep. Although that was, you know, that was correct. <laughs> <laughs> there is always, in fact, a bigger fish. There's always another catfish down there. I'm pretty sure the bottom of most lakes is just one gigantic catfish. <laughs> but I digress. So somehow they make it through the middle of the planet. Right. Doesn't make any sense. I mean, I'm no geologist. I'm a rocket scientist. <laughs> oh, wait, no. Nuclear physicist. Okay, a little of both. Anyways, <laughs> I don't do either. <laughs> I'm trying not to call you out. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm something in that arena. I'm smart, okay? We'll just put it like that. <laughs> so, moving along. <laughs> 
<laughs> Enough self-grandizement. Let's get back to talking about a children's movie. <laughs> right. For all your intelligence, we're sitting here talking about a self-admitted children's movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, shut up, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> so we can make it through the plan score. Yes. Somehow. Magic. Yes. And basically a scene wipe. If I remember correctly. Yeah. They pop up and they're right there in Thebes and then they go like straight to scene Queen. Tell her we got attacked. No, no, no. She's been captured. Was she captured at that point? Yeah. So they capture, they take the city and they capture her. Right. And she's being marched right. away. And they just like. And they intercept her right in time before they get her off to the prison. Yep. Yeah, and so they, they kill all the battle droids because, you know, Jedi. Right. <laughs> and. Then they explain to her what's going on, and then they opt to flee, right. flee the planet. Right. I will say that when I first watched this movie, and what I still enjoy now about it, granted I'm an action buff again, and yet another way you can tell that it's made for kids is all the uh, folks who get killed are faceless automatons. And in this case, that is literal. <laughs> <laughs> they are literally robots who do not have faces. <laughs> right. But it's a lot of fun watching Jedi take them apart. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you have the fastest lightsaber scene you had in the original three movies was in Jedi. And it was the fight between Luke and uh, Vader. And, Vader. and even that fight scene was pretty slow. It was much more like a duel. Whereas this was like combat, like full-on, fast-paced combat. Well, yeah, they were using a different style of swordplay. Like, before it was more English-style, you know, European-style of broadsword-type swordplay. Whereas this has just been... They mixed up a bunch of different ones and just made it look more choreographed and fantastic. Well, and this one you've got, like, the full... How it interplays with other Force abilities. The Force pushing and the super speed and, you know, all the other stuff that goes with it. Right. That you didn't really have on display in the other movies. Right. And that's because in this instance, it's not a lost art. It's a well-known practice. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to see because, and that's something we'll probably do eventually when we get to it, is the the final scene in Rogue One where you see Vader, you know, really for the first time using that kind of swordplay mm-hmm. in a movie. Whereas in, in the uh, other movies, you know, he's he's either fighting Obi-Wan where he's not sure he can use that, <laughs> that kind of swordplay against him. Right. Or he's fighting his own son, in which case he's pulling his punches. Actually, right. That's what I'm fairly certain what's going on. There's probably a lot of argument about that on the internet. But, <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. You, you watch the kind of moves he had in Rogue One or, you know, in the next couple of movies, episodes two and three and then you're like oh yeah and he really dumbed it back when he fought luke huh oh yeah (laughs) yeah because he was his son right (laughs) that's why like you could tell that that when now in hindsight you could tell that that was going on because in you know in empire he went out of his way to convince the emperor to let him catch him yeah you know and jedi and all that so you know when you look back you're like oh yeah he was trying not to kill his son (laughs) yeah okay so we escaped the planet somehow we meet r2d2 Yep, because during the escape in their bright silver flashy Cadillac that can't maneuver. <laughs> yeah, I just love that. Like they're looking out the window, or like, and there's literally one ship. There's one giant ship, so you could turn the other way. It's space. There's lots of other ways you could turn. But you drive right for the one giant ship with the giant lasers. Well, we saw on the <laughs> on the scene where they're going, you know, in the opening scene, there were more than one ship. So, I mean, it was blockaded. Yeah. Where are, where were they, though? 
Wait, they weren't there. What ship, Bruce? It wasn't like Come you had a, you didn't have a full view of the whole planet and where all the ships were. For all you know, it was just off screen. It wasn't like you were looking at a whole quadrant over, you know, Naboo going, hey, this one ship for the entire quadrant. It definitely looked like that. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not pointing out, like, the re- reality situation. I'm saying it's from the viewer's perspective. It looks stupid. <laughs> well, how about this, though? Having your escape ship some fat-ass Cadillac that can't maneuver. <laughs> yeah, no, that was also dumb. <laughs> We're going to protect our queen by flying her in this giant Cadillac Coupe de Ville, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's got all her, her wardrobe on. Right. That. That's the important part, right? Right. You know, thank God it's loaded with autonomous mechanics that can fix things under fire. Yes. And one of them is one of the two main stars of the movies. Right. Everybody thinks they're about the Skywalkers, but let's be honest. <laughs> this is really the story of C-3PO and R2-D2. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you talk to George Lucas, he knows it is kind of a story that's told from the perspective of R2 and C-3PO. Yeah, that makes sense. So you get R2 showing up. You know, and I still use that phrase that Jar Jar uses when he walks into the room. Hi, boyos. Yeah. <laughs> I still say that to him. <laughs> so he was good for something. Yeah, that and causing the Empire to happen. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, most loved character in all of Star Warsdom. <laughs> well, isn't that really the queen's fault? <laughs> I mean, just think, he's only there because Padme put him there. I mean, he, in reality, he's there because he grabbed onto Qui-Gon Jinn. <laughs> if Qui-Gon had just, like, thrown him to the ground or cut him in half, none of this would have happened. <laughs> oh, Qui-Gon has to believe in the living force. <laughs> I think that's all about all we have time for in this episode. So next time you'll hear what happens after their daring escape from Naboo and what obviously got damaged on the starship because it always gets damaged. (laughs) Part two of episode one. (laughs) Star Wars, the Phantom Minus. Menace. How do you say it, Bruce? You go either way. (laughs) (laughs) This has been Pat. And I'm the Fat Man. Stay classy. May the Force be with you. I'm going to say it over and over again. Most wonderful character in all of Star Wars. It's going to have to take out your kneecaps. <laughs> but I like my kneecaps. Yeah, that's the point. Much like the spoon, the kneecaps is the point. But they exist, Bruce. <laughs> they exist. And they need to be taken out for your actions. <laughs>